putting the asthmatic in charismatic. You're listening to Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show. in Canada on the 25th anniversary of the release of his New York Times bestselling book and series, The Five Love Languages. With over 300 weeks on the New York bestsellers list, Dr. Gary Chapman's book has been read by over 10 million people, although these days I think it's probably more because people share books, and continues to impact lives, marriages, families. Uh, hopefully he's impacting his own marriage. Actually, Dr. Chapman, and that's actually where I want to go right off the bat, but hold on, before before I go there, Dr. <laughs> Chapman will be speaking for 90 minutes on the five love languages and the marriage you always wanted, presented by Focus on the Family Canada. These events have all sold out in the past, so don't miss your chance to see Dr. Chapman live. And uh, the event that we're kind of promoting on this interview is uh, is the one in Cambridge on Monday, May 15th, Cambridge, Ontario, at Forward Church, Monday, May 15th. And if you can't make, make that night, then you got to go to Buffalo on May 16th, the following night. Uh, for more details, you go check out this website, funandfaith.com, funandfaith.com. Dr. Gary Chapman, how many times have people tried to pin you up against the wall and said, okay, Mr. Love Languages, you know, Dr. Love Languages, how's your marriage? How many times? I mean, everybody does that, right? <laughs> Yeah, people ask uh, periodically, and I think it's fine. And I, I, my my perspective is, I know what it is to have a terrible marriage. I was there for several years in the early years of my marriage. I know what it is to be disillusioned, to feel like you married the wrong person, to feel like it's never going to work out. You know, I've been there. And I also know what it's like to have a wife who loves you and a wife whom you love, and you've learned how to love and support and care for each other. And I'm telling you, there's a world of difference in those two kind of marriages. The problem is, a lot of people think if they have a terrible marriage, the only way to get it better is to get out and go find somebody else with whom you can have a perfect relationship. And I'm saying it's not going to happen. You can fall in love with somebody else, but you'll come down off the high and you'll be back into a real, the real world where people have differences. So... Why not learn how to love the person to whom you're now married? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but, uh, okay, here's my pushback. It, it That's not always the case, right? I mean, there are situations, for whatever reasons, where putting a bullet in the marriage is the best way forward. Can you agree with that, or can you not agree with that, because, you know, you're a, you're a Bible yeah. guy? Yeah, well, no question about it. I, I have been involved in marriage counseling now with, for 40 years with people. And yes, there are situations uh, when there's physical abuse, when there's extended verbal abuse, when there's sexual abuse of the spouse or the children, uh, there is a time to, to apply tough love and say, I love you too much to sit here and do nothing while you destroy yourself and destroy me and destroy the kids. Therefore, I'm going to, and you decide what you're going to do, move in with your mother or whatever. 
but I do think it ought to be done as an act of love and not uh, when I certainly it can be done as an act of just protection if it's a, if it's physical or sexual abuse. Mm. Uh, uh, but I, I do think that many marriages that seem hopeless could be helped if one person would learn how to speak the other person's love language. In fact, sometimes uh, we if we would precede what I call tender love before we do the tough love, the tough love might be more effective. But when we've come down on a person and we've condemned them and, you know, nagged them for two years, and then we say, I'm sick and tired of this, I'm getting out of here, uh, their attitude is good riddance. I'm sick and tired of you anyway. You know, but if you've been meeting their needs, been reaching out to love them, and then you say that you're going to move in with your mother, woo, you know, they may wake up. I'm not saying everybody will wake up because yeah. that's not true. People are people can choose and make what poor choices, and they do often. Okay, but after, I'm sorry, I keep saying but, because, you know, look, you've been on my show, I think, three or four times over the last 14 years, and I've seen you, you've done every interview imaginable, right? You made Oprah do the test on live on television. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I just, there's there's parts of me that, you know, I'm, I've lived a bit of life now, and and uh, and I'm just not, I don't know where I'm at with the whole you got to stick it out no matter what thing, because the Bible says yeah, well, stick no, it out no matter no, what. I'm not, and I'm not saying that, Drew. I, no, I'm but really you, you, what, no, what I hear you saying is if there's abuse, you can bail. But if there's not abuse, you got to stay. Well, I think it depends on what, 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 what the situation is. You know, if it's, if it's destructive and destroying you and, and destroying them and destroying children, no, we, we should not accept that kind of behavior. Uh, we ought to reach out for help, and we ought to. We, ought, we I would suggest that you don't bail out without help. Right. Be talking to somebody. Have a trusted friend. Have a counselor. Have a pastor. Have somebody that's walking with you when it gets to be that play that point. Because you're going to need help hmm. if you if you if you take that route. But no, I, I'm not saying that there are never situations where a person should not leave another person, get out of a destructive situation. Uh, I'm just saying. My hope and my desire is that people will get help along before they get to that point. And, uh, you know, I think the love languages can help them do that. Okay, before we get into the actual love languages, and, you know, I, I'm kind of treating this interview like everybody knows what the love languages are because I think a lot of people do, but there are many who probably don't. So let's touch base on that in just a second. But before we get there, um, is it is it, can you call it loving somebody if one spouse t says to the other look it's been a couple of decades and it just ain't working and i i legitimately love you enough to say to you let's stop let's let's you know separate let's divorce let's move different direction maybe you will you know there's only so many years left and you know you've heard this you want to spend yeah. the rest of your life in a loveless marriage you know how do you respond to that well, I would I would want to know what have they done in those twenty years, right? If they have if they haven't reached out for help, they've never gone to a marriage conference, they've never gone for marriage counseling, they've never read and discussed a marriage book. I'm saying you're giving up without trying. I don't care how many years it's been. Yeah. But if you've gone through all those things and and there's still things that that you're not being able to get over, then that's a different issue. But I find that many couples they give up too soon, and they say I've tried everything 
which means that the two of them have tried everything. You know, they've argued, they've tried to be kind, and they've, you know, <laughs> lost their temper, and they, and you know, that's what they mean. They don't mean that they've gone for counseling for, you know, a year or gone to marriage conferences or, or you know, as I said, discussed a book together. So uh, I, I just say it's not a matter of how long you've been together and how long it's been going on. It's what have you done to make it different? Right, right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. On the line here with Dr. Gary Chapman, of course, he's the author of of the uh, the Love Languages. So after 25 years of Love Languages, the five Love Languages, dude, there's got to be number six. You've, you must have come up with number six, <laughs> maybe even number seven. Come on. <laughs> well, I've had people suggest number six. One man said, the sixth Love Language is chocolate. Yes. And my response was... <laughs> If they bought it, it's a gift. If they made it, it's an act of service. Oh, yeah. So it's a dialect. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a language. Another guy said, the sixth love language is going shopping with my wife. Yeah. And I said, that's a nice thing to do if that's what she likes. But to me, that would be a dialect of quality time. Yeah. She wants you to go with her and do something she enjoys doing. Yeah. So, you know, I really have not come up with what I think is a legitimate six love language. But I'm not saying that there's not one out there. Okay. I, mean, I was never dogmatic. I'm just saying these are the five I found. And uh, it seems that they that they fit in most cases. Yeah, and they've certainly stood the test of time, of course. All right, so the five languages, love languages, are gift-giving, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch. Did I get those right? You did, Okay, yes. good, because that would suck if I got them wrong, you know, talking to you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, we all respond to one language of love more than the others. Right. But let's, I want to go right back to the drawing board. I'm now at the point in life where I'm not even sure I know what love is anymore. You know, it's that that whole middle-aged thing. So, Dr. Yeah. Gary Chapman, what is love? Well, let me say, first of all, love is not a feeling, but love is an attitude. Love is the attitude which says, in a marriage, love is an attitude which says, I want to enrich your life. I want to do what I can to help you reach your goals and your vision for life. I'm here for you. It's an attitude. Then it will have appropriate behavior. That is, you will do and say things that will help them in, enrich their lives. And it will stimulate emotions inside of them. And if they have the same attitude toward you, it will stimulate emotions in you. So I think often we get that backwards. And when we come down off the high of the in-love experience, and so we don't have the feelings anymore, we say to the spouse, I just don't love you anymore. Well, what we're saying is, I lost the feelings. And that, that always happens. We always come down off the high. But feelings can be stimulated again, can be reborn, if we choose an attitude of love and then find out how best to express that love to the other person. Okay. I find it really easy to love my dog. Except right now when he's barking in the middle of an interview. <laughs> uh, I find it really, really easy to love my dog. And and I'm trying – this is a weird question. I haven't figured this out myself. Why is it easier for us to love our dogs than it is for us to love our partners? Maybe because the dog typically will respond to your love. And the dog expresses, you know, concern for you. Whereas the spouse doesn't always do that. Now, if you're consistent in speaking your spouse's love language, 
there's a high probability that they are going to reciprocate along the line. They'll begin to reciprocate. Not always, because uh, you know, not people can be loved and not not reciprocate love. But love tends to stimulate love. So if I'm loving my spouse in a way that's meaningful to them, and they're feeling that I am committed to their well-being, there's a good chance they're going to reciprocate to me. Uh, animals, I think, are, are perhaps much more responsive immediately to uh, to what what we call love. Now, I don't know what's going on in the dog's mind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is that it's uh, it's pretty easy to earn your your dog's love. You know, to get them to love you. I mean, all you got to do is walk in the door. You could have disciplined the dog 30 minutes ago, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, you walk in the door, and what's the dog doing? Wiggling its butt. Can't wait for to see yeah. you again. It's only been 30 <laughs> minutes, and it's just excited. So so I would say some people, they they just seem so needy, and they've just got to have love all the time, love all the time, whereas a dog... All you got to do is feed it and scratch its ear, and it loves you. You don't even have to do that, and it still loves you. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, if that's all a person wants in life is to have the love of a dog, that that's okay. There's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but I think in human relationships, you know, uh, love is love is exceedingly important. In fact, I think most people agree that the deepest emotional need we have as humans is the need to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. In a marriage, that's your spouse. With the child, that's your parents. You know, in close friendships, it's your friend. So, so it applies in all human relationships. The people that we consider to be significant, uh, you know, we have a significant relationship with, we want to feel loved. And when we feel loved, the relationship tends to flow in a positive manner. Yeah. And we do enrich each other's lives. When we don't feel loved, then all of the normal conflicts in life, and all humans have conflicts, it's harder to process those things when you feel like the other person doesn't love you. They're not committed to your well-being. And so I think that's why conflicts often end up in arguments that seldom ever get anything solved. And once in a while, we just slam the door, walk out, and, and another conflict goes under the rug. And I think that's where many couples get to the place where they feel like we're not compatible. Yeah. We've got all these things we disagree on. We can't we can't get together on anything. And I understand that, you know, because if we don't feel loved, it's harder to solve the conflicts. So many people that I know, uh, Dr. Chapman, are into the love language stuff, right? They, they've they read your book, and they're just right into it, done the test, but they aren't into Jesus. And, mm -hmm. and I find that so kind of cool that they're into the five love languages, but they don't have, they don't necessarily buy into the Jesus and the God and the church stuff. What does that yeah. say to you about the five love languages? Well, I wrote the book with non-Christians in mind, and that's why the book is not riddled with scriptures. Uh, I believe all the five love languages are found in scriptures, and I believe that you find them in God himself. Uh, but I wrote the book with non-Christians in mind because I wanted to help couples, whether they were Christians or whether they were not Christians. And I believe that all humans are capable of love. And I believe that's because we're made in the image of God. Now, I also believe that all of us are self-centered. And there's a good part to that. That means I feed myself. You know, I get exercise. I get sleep. But our self-centeredness often leads us to selfishness where we view the whole world and all of life in terms of what am I getting out of this? 
So we come to marriage with that concept, and we have these ideas that we think our spouse ought to do to make us happy. And if they don't do them, then, you know, we try to force them to do them. And if they don't, then we, we obviously we, we move apart. So, uh, but I do think that uh, non-Christians can love. And so uh, I wrote the book with that in mind. And what's been interesting is it has crossed over into the secular market. And many non-Christians, as you said, really have taken it seriously. And their, their relationship have been improved because they've learned how to communicate love in a, in a meaningful way to the other person. Well, on behalf of someone who, I, I would much rather hang out with uh, non-Jesus people than Jesus people, I want to say thank you for writing the book the way you did. I know that what I just said makes me sound like a jerk, but I am a jerk, and I, but I'm just, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't hang out in the tribe very well. I'm not a good tribal guy, and so uh, the people that I know that are really into your book that have nothing to do with the Jesus scene, again, thanks for writing the book the way you did. It's, it's a... It just made a huge impact on people I, I care about. Yeah, well, I'm glad, you know, and that's what I had hoped would happen Good. When, I, when I wrote the book. Now, what if someone has taken the love language test, which is on the website, they've read the book, and they still feel that they don't have any love language? Like, are, are yep. they delusional? You know, I think two, two groups of people uh, fit into that, or that's common for them. One is the person who has always felt loved. They grew up feeling loved. Their parents spoke many of these languages to them. If they're married, they got married. Their spouse spoke whatever made them feel loved. And, and they, they, they've always felt loved. They don't know which of these is more important because they've received all of them. Uh, that's the fortunate person. <laughs> now, on the other hand, uh, there's the individual who really never felt loved growing up. And they don't know quite what it means to feel loved. And so they, they fish for, is there something in here that would make me, you know, feel happy or feel like people really cared for me? Because deep inside of them, uh, they've grown up with the feeling that nobody really is committed to my well-being. My dad left. My dad was an alcoholic. My mother did this. You know, they had no time for me. And they grow up with that, with that inner sense that no one really cares for me. So it's hard for them to believe that someone would be deeply committed to them. So I think those are two categories that often say to me, you know, I just don't know what my love language is. I, I looked at all five of them. I took the quiz. They all came out equal. Uh, so what I say is this. If you're in a relationship, try this. Uh, about every three weeks, you say to each other, uh, and not necessarily on the same night. It can be at a different time. But you say, on a scale of zero to ten, how much love do you feel coming from me? And if they say anything less than 10, you say, well, what could I do that might, uh, might bring it up? Hmm. And you just tell them something that would be meaningful to you at the moment. And, and if, if you choose to do it, then you, because love is a choice, then you do it. And if you will keep a record of what they say, you'll find they begin to fall into a category. Hmm. The things they request of you, the things they suggest to you will fall into a category. That's another way of discovering what your love language might be. And you can also do this. You can say, if I had to give up one of these, which one would I give up first? Well, now you're down to four. <laughs> and then you just kind of walk up, the, walk up the ladder from the bottom. And sometimes that also helps a person realize that, yeah, one of these is more important to me than the other four. Hmm. Okay, that's some good advice from Dr. Gary Chapman. Again, he will be uh, speaking in Cambridge, Ontario on Monday, May 15th. 
and in Buffalo on Tuesday, May 16th. And uh, the Cambridge gig is the one we're really pumping here because that's closer to us. I mean, look, we like the people in Buffalo. Uh, we don't like their hockey team, but we like the people in Buffalo. <laughs> uh, but it's the Cambridge gig at Forward Church. It's 7.30, and uh, you can get tickets. You go to this uh, website. It's called funandfaith.com, funandfaith.com. FiveLoveLanguages.com. That, of course, is Dr. Gary Chapman's site. Uh, Dr. Chapman, if someone doesn't really respond to a certain love language, and by the way, let's just go over them one more time. So if someone was to give me a gift, how loved would I feel? If someone was to spend quality time with me, how loved would I feel? If someone was to speak words of affirmation into my life, how loved would I feel? If someone was to do something for me, an act of service, how loved would I feel? And if someone was to to, to give me a massage or hold my hand or give me a hug or a kiss or even sex, yep, that's one of them, uh, physical touch, how loved would I feel? Did I cover it? You did. If someone doesn't really respond to a certain love language, so let's say you, you say to someone in your family, uh, boy, I just want to let you know what kind of an impact you've made in my life and, and, and you've just been an amazing person and, and the way you've supported me and encouraged you, you're speaking all these words of affirmation. And they don't respond to it. Let's say they go, yeah, oh, okay. They kind of, you know, maybe they feel awkward. They don't know what to do. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that that particular love language, words of affirmation, is not their love language. Is that is that true? Uh, well, I think typically if it is their love language, they would be responsive to that. Okay. But don't assume that because they're not super responsive to that, uh, that is not their love language because some people are more uh i don't know what shall i say exuberant uh, you know when you speak their love language or you give them a gift they just you know they start dancing and <laughs> all yep. this stuff whereas other people would say, just simply say well thank you you know that's i appreciate that so we don't always express our response in the same way and a lot of that depends on our personality mm -hmm. uh, but the best thing is to discuss it with the person you know out of these five which one do you think is most meaningful to you. Now, it, listen, it, it's fine to speak all five of them. You know, just give heavy doses of the primary. And if you do that, the other four will be more meaningful because it's kind of like icing on the cake, you know. Uh, so I think I think that's, that's what I would say to that. Okay, now, just because something wasn't modeled for you in your family of origin doesn't mean that you can't learn it and then practice it. And that's the good news. Any one of these can be learned as an adult. Maybe you didn't get words of affirmation. Maybe it doesn't feel comfortable for you to say kind things about your spouse or, or a friend or anyone else. But if you know that that's their love language, then you can learn how to do that. Right. And in the book, I talk about some ways to do that. For example, just get your little notebook, write down sentences that you hear other people say or you read in a magazine, stand in front of the mirror, say them out loud, hear yourself actually saying these things, then walk in the room where your spouse is, they're looking the other direction, and you just say one of them and run. <laughs> <laughs> and you broke the silence. And the second time is easier, and the third time is easier. You can learn any one of these languages. If you just take baby steps, mm. you can learn how to speak these languages. Okay, well, what was modeled for you, Dr. Chapman? Because, you know, you, being Dr. Love language, you, you've got to be pretty stinking good at, at loving in one language. Uh, what was modeled for you? 
Well, you know, words of affirmation was big for my parents. They always encouraged me, you know, in whatever I was doing, whether it was playing basketball or whether it was, you know, my studies or, or whatever. They were always encouraging me with words. Uh, words is my love language. Of course, I knew nothing about that in those days. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and so I'm, I'm, I'm big into words of affirmation, you know, I, uh, and I, I give those freely to other people. The problem in my marriage was, Words is not my wife's love language. <laughs> so in the early years, I would tell her how nice she looked. I'd tell her how much I appreciated what she did. I'd tell her I loved her, you know. And, uh, and one day she said, you know, <laughs> you know, if you love me, why don't you help me? Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was just shot out of the saddle, you know, because in my mind, I loved her. In her mind, if I loved her, I'd be helping her. Yeah. So uh, it's not enough to be sincere. We have to learn how to communicate love to the other person. Okay, what if one person is really good at doing all of them? They're, they're a gift giver. They want to spend quality time, you know, words of affirmation, acts of service, uh, physical touch. What if they're really good at all of them? Are they, um, are they weird? No, I think, uh, I think anyone would like to have a spouse like that. <laughs> Give me my primary, but throw in all the other four. Oh, I love that, you know. No, I, that person has an asset. And typically, that's the person who received all five growing up. Right. And so consequently, they're, they're familiar with all five of them. They feel comfortable with all five of them. Okay, finally, because we're running out of time here. It's so easy to talk with you. That's why you've been on my show 63 times. So thank you. <laughs> um, Dr. Chapman, what advice would you give to someone who is single? And maybe they're trying to figure out if, if the one they love is the one. Or maybe they're trying to make a decision between potential partner number one or potential partner number two. Yeah, well, here's here's a big issue I would say to singles, and I wrote a book on called the Five Love Language Singles Edition, in which I'm applying this to all of their relationships, their parents, their siblings, their roommates in college, their coworkers, their dating partners. But I would say in a dating relationship, what this does, if you understand the love language concept and you learn how to speak each other's love language. When you come down off the high of the in-love experience, which has an average lifespan of about two years, you come down off the high, and now, but you're speaking each other's love language. You still have emotional love in the relationship, so now you can look at all the rest of life and see if in other important areas you, you're on the same page. Hmm. What happens many times, a couple is caught up in the in-love experience, and then one of them comes down off the high, and always one comes down before the other, and they will say to themselves first, you know, I just, ooh, I think I've lost it. I don't feel like what I used to feel. Oh, and then, and then one night they break the news to them, I just feel like I don't love you. Now the other person's devastated. The relationship breaks up. Maybe they would have been a good mix, a good, a good match for each other. But because they allowed that in love thing to make the decision for them, that was based totally on that, uh, they maybe broke up a good relationship. So if they can learn to speak the love languages while they're dating, they keep love alive, and they can make an intelligent decision based on a whole lot of other things in life that are important, that we need to be marching to the beat of the same drummer if we're going to have a good marriage. Oh, man, where were you so long ago in my life? <laughs> 
I wish I had known these things in the early years of my life, Drew. It would have made my life much easier. <laughs> oh, man. Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, he is uh, Mr. Love Languages, uh, the author of that best-selling book for uh, 4,300 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> um, so he's going to be uh, speaking at Cambridge at Forward Church Monday, May 15th, 7.30 p.m. You want to go uh, to funandfaith.com. That's where you go. And, of course, the uh, Gary's uh, website is uh, fivelovelanguages.com. Uh, Dr. Chapman, again, thank you very, very much. Well, thank you, Drew. I always enjoy talking with you. All right, you take care. Goodbye.